Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm AP Andy. And Sean is tempting fate right now by taking a beautiful Caribbean Corona cruise. Bon voyage. Uh, hopefully we will see him again. If not, it's been nice knowing him. Women and children first, Sean. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk today with three of the fired uh, UC Santa Cruz strikers. You've probably heard something about the situation. It's been going on for uh, over a month now. But, uh, you know, the ba- the basics of it is uh, adjuncts and graduate student workers are heavily exploited as part of the neoliberal university model. And all over the country, they have been... Um, striking, occupying, uh, you know, making heavier and more militant demands. And this is so far the high watermark of that emerging struggle of adjuncts and grad student workers. Um, They went on a wildcat strike starting, I believe, last month. Uh, Part of that strike is they stopped giving out grades, which is like uh, kind of a nuclear option. Um, really disrupting the uh, uh, the flow of the university by not giving out those grades. And um, a bunch of them were fired. The, the number that usually gets thrown around is 54, but it was actually uh, more than 54. And some of them weren't on strike. Some of the people who were on that Wildcat strike didn't get fired. And other pe- so they just, you know, the, the, the university is just totally bungling even their repression of the strike. And I think as a result of that, and also the uh, you know the momentum from the organizing, it's been spreading to other campuses in California, including uh, uh, Berkeley, uh, UCLA, UC Davis, and so it's looking a lot like um, the kind of momentum that happened with the occupation movements in uh, 2009 in California, uh, uh, which you know um, the a lot of the rhetoric and slogans of that movement ended up being a big component of Occupy Wall Street. So even if you're not a student, even if you're not an academic worker uh, or you don't live in California, uh, these are like really interesting and novel struggles to follow. I think that was very well said, (laughs) Andy. Um, I really enjoyed talking to these three dedicated organizers, um, and I think you will enjoy hearing from them. So here we go. Here's our interview. All right. We are here with Yulia and Tony, two striking grad student workers at UC Santa Cruz. How are you doing, guys? Oh, Hi. We're doing good. How are you? We're all right. You know, dealing with a pandemic, but uh, that's <laughs> normal. We hear that. So let's see where to begin. Um, You want to tell us a little bit about the history of the strike and how you got to the point where you needed to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So we've been on a a strike since uh, December of last year. Um, We... uh, we we have a, a statewide union which represents all of the UC all of the ten UC campuses across the University of California. Um, we settled a contract in 2018, which most people in Santa Cruz were not happy with. So the statewide leadership um, settled this contract, 
uh, and kind of after the after 2018, uh, the cost of living went up. We we had a, a very low wage increase in our contract. Um, so uh, the, the the year starting in 2019, graduate students uh, and organizers uh, pushed for a cost of living adjustment campaign, um, particularly focusing on the fact that the that we all get paid the same wage across the University of California, um, but that the cost of living is very different. Um, in, in different places between like Merced and, and Santa Cruz, but at the same time that uh, kind of all of us uh, face this condition of rent burden, which is paying 30% of your wages in rent. Or, or more. And in Santa Cruz specifically, most of graduate student workers pay 50 to 70% of their wages in rent. So Santa Cruz housing scholars had to invent a term to be obscenely rent burdened which is for people who pay 70% of their wages or more on rent, which is me. Um, this category statistically did not exist outside of the Bay Area, outside of Santa Cruz. Um, but it precisely describes the condition that we live and labor under. Uh, to just put this a little bit in the, the national context, there are these new unions all over the country. Well, the, the unions might not be new, but these new struggles of uh, adjuncts and grad student workers who have basically become this uh, structural, structurally exploited underclass within the university who, uh, you know, I'm mostly familiar with like the CUNY system and New York universities, but I imagine it's the same everywhere, um, where they're just like the majority of the people who teach the classes and do the academic work are getting paid really, really low wages and even when they have unions, the negotiations only give them these very modest increases. Uh, and I, I imagine the, system, uh, the, the, the struggle right now throughout the UC system is playing along those same dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. That's precisely the case. Um, that graduate student workers and lecturers, the adjuncts, who are unionized but still are not paid a livable wage, who do not have um, job protections, who don't even necessarily have health insurance through their employment. Um, so they're worse off than we are. Um, but we, both adjuncts and graduate student instructors and uh, teaching assistants, do the majority of the teaching. And so for us, we get paid about 19 grand a year after tax. Um, and our rent, you know, on average in Santa Cruz, people pay twelve hundred dollars for like a room in a shared apartment so that's the price of on-campus housing for example oof yeah it's rough mm -hmm. so, so kind of, sorry 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 uh, i think the, the the way the story goes from there is that kind of faced with these conditions organizers thought to um have a campaign throughout the year we had originally thought that we would Push towards a grading strike in uh, in the spring quarter, starting in April. Um, but towards the end of the quarter, after we'd we'd had some rallies and and kind of publicised the idea of a cost of living adjustment, rank and file workers started pushing on an email thread for a grading strike immediately. Um, so there was a call to to put out a poll and to, uh, to to sort of escalate really quite quickly. So, so we did a, a grading strike beginning in the fall, beginning last December. Um, that took place 
through uh, th through the winter quarter um, before we received a, a kind of offer from the chancellor, which was framed as just an announcement of new programs for graduate students, which was a, a twenty five hundred a year um, needs based housing fellowship, uh, which graduate students found absolutely inadequate because it was way below what we were asking for and what we need um, to get out of rent burden. So um, along with this announcement of a higher, um, of, 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 of like this, this, this very measly uh, housing fellowship, there were also threats of uh, firings in case if, if anybody kept holding, uh, holding fall grades. I'm kind of uh, incensed by this, graduate students then escalated to a teaching strike, um, which we've been on for the past four weeks. We'll That's be entering right. the fifth week of next week. Um, it looks like we've been joined by Natalie. Um, I guess you don't know where we were because you just got on. Um, we were just talking about uh, the extreme rent burdening facing many uh, graduate student instructors and in the UC system and what you guys are doing about it. Yeah, we just covered a bit of history from the 2018 contract that we voted against, talked about going on a grading strike and then escalating to a full teaching strike um, after we were threatened with discipline. Awesome. And I understand there are additional demands too, right? Like um, getting the cops off of campus and certain anti-oppression elements. You want to talk about those a little? Well, I think um, there's kind of ways in which, uh, you know, sort of, we, we originally came into this with one demand only, a cost of living adjustment for all graduate students to be adjusted with, uh, you know, changes in the housing market in addition that this wouldn't come from uh, from undergraduate tuition and that there wouldn't be any any retaliation. I think any sort of negotiations with the administration would be centered around this, but the struggle has really brought up these kind of additional um, desires and, and sort of demands like that Cops Off Campus comes really, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like a really obvious fight for us because uh, we have been fighting the cops. We got 18 arrests in the first week um, of our hard picket. Um, and a lot of sort of like we saw police called in from all over the states, hundreds of thousands of dollars used in the first week, millions used in total for to call in these cops. Um, and I, I, I think uh, sort of across the graduate student and undergraduate student body, there is this uh, strong desire to have cops off campus. But that's kind of different from the demands that would be uh, would, would be uh, would be negotiated with the administration. I mean, but the, the other thing uh, is from the very beginning, the question was, where is the money going to come from? And the cops off campus was one of the first things we pointed to. Um, we don't need police presence on campus. That money could go to education. We don't need to be funding the 30 meter telescope in Mauna Kea. That money could go towards funding education. Um, so I think from very early on, we were looking at the budget and looking at the parts of the budget that are actually um, uh, forwarding oppression, especially of uh, students of color uh, that were promoting imperialism um, and, and thinking about how we could redirect those resources to actually serve students and workers. That's right. And cops off campus calling my bank account is one of the first chants 
of the campaign. What's the chant? Uh, cops off campus, cola in my bank account. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the cost of living expansion in your bank account. That's right. Um, so what, one of the interesting things about the, the inclusion of this kind of uh, what some would see a radical solution to this underfunding of, uh, of, of, of academic labor um, is that to make these demands or to put forward these solutions, you had to go against the union to some degree, um, which made this a, uh, a wildcat strike. And there is certainly some tension still between uh, the union that you're all in or the, the bargaining team, the representatives of the union, um, and the people who are actually on strike. Do you want to talk a little bit about that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I think, so UAW2865, um, I think the 2018 contract campaign was really, um, the, the direction it took was really influenced by the Janus decision, um, AFSCME versus Janus in 2018, um, which really left uh, unions across the country, like, uh, stripped, stripped of funds. The, the year after we saw um, paid organizers pulled back from our campus and we saw funds for, for union events on campus pulled back. Um, so I think the statewide union approach to this was, was really kind of conservative because they thought we wouldn't have the numbers um, to strike to win a better contract. And this kind of set the, the tone for how the union would operate um, going ahead up until now, kind of like building membership numbers, um, ideas of sort of like lobbying democratic politicians in order to build a like um, more friendly environment for unions across the state. Um, and, and I think people on Santa Cruz campus were more willing to be more militant, uh, partly just because of the, the, the needs in this, this particular area and partly because of the history and sort of the, the body of students that we have here um, to, to kind of push the union in a different direction. You know, it's not exactly against the union. It's, it's, it's sort of rebuilding what we think the union should be and what we think it should be for. That makes a whole lot of sense. Um, back to the cost of living. <clears throat> I read in one of your statements that UC is a landlord, and at first I thought it just meant that UC is worsening gentrification in uh, many of the communities where it exists, but then I found out that they are literally your landlords when you pay to live on campus, so like, couldn't they just hypothetically reduce the amount that they're charging you? Like, What's up with that? They, they're not just a landlord, they are the biggest landlord in the state of California. You uh, see, Santa Cruz is the biggest landlord in the city of Santa Cruz. Um, so not only do they contribute on worsen gentrification in the area, because landlords in town can raise rents trying to match exorbitant cost of on-campus housing. Um, as I mentioned, for graduate students, a room in a shared apartment on campus is over 1200 bucks. Undergrads pay about $1,500 to share a bedroom with three other people. I want to emphasize this, $1,500 a month to share a bedroom. Yeah, that's it's insane. Absurd. It's absurd. 
It so makes me feel a little bit better about living in New York. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah. So actually the cola campaign started out of organizing for on-campus housing freeze for, um, housing justice for students who live on campus. Um, but I think in our case specifically for graduate students, very few of us live on campus. We don't have enough capacity to house uh, all the graduate students on campus. So even if you see word to reduce the cost of on-campus housing, it's not going to bring the rest of the population out of Renburn. So I think this needs to be like a holistic thing, a holistic solution that includes rent freeze, rent caps, and a cost of living adjustment, literally giving us more money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to add, um, I think that the conversation around on-campus housing, while it's not going to solve all of our issues, is really important specifically because the university offered us this $2,500 annual housing supplement that would sunset when they built more housing, which they said would be affordable housing. So I met with our EVC, our executive vice chancellor, and I said, how can we trust you to build affordable housing when right now family student housing is over $1,700? So there are single parents who are paying $1,700 for a two bedroom apartment. Um, and I also pointed out that the prices for the different UC family student housing align with the rental market. So it's not the cost to build and maintain this housing. They're actually profiting off of the inflated housing prices in Santa Cruz. They raise the rent in family student housing every single year. And when I said that, she responded and said, that's a good point, but we're not going to solve that problem today. Oi. I mean, the thing it brings to mind for me is like a company town yeah. where a corporation has a monopoly on housing and resources in their area and they make money. They're like double dipping on their own workers, right? Because on the one hand, they are extracting surplus value from their labor. And on the other hand, they're putting so much of their wages right back into the company. Totally. Right. Yeah. There's this weird thing where the, the university, especially in Santa Cruz, because it is uh, just, just physically kind of separated from the town, but um, especially for undergraduates who are, who are coming here for the first time, maybe they're just like leaving home for the first time, um, the university like becomes this world for, for you. Um, if you live on campus, like it, it's your landlord and it, you know, it, it like it disciplines you and it, it takes your money off you. Um, like it, it, um, the, 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 the ways in which, um, in which you pay the university, in which you pay the university for, for rent are very opaque. So people kind of in general don't have a sense of themselves as tenants and the, the, the university as a landlord to be fought because it's the idea that you're, you're meant like I think the idea that they present is that it's this uh, you know institution that takes care of you that um, you know is just sort of like guiding you through but really like when you have have rats and mold and you're paying out of your nose um, for these conditions when you're sharing with a bunch of people you know they have a $500 meal plan which you can't opt out of so you can't even like you know your autonomy is really kind of severely limited by um, by just just going through this institution and like 
all of these sort of weird ways in which student conduct is tied up with your housing status. You know, um, there, there are ways in which people who at the moment, because of things to do with the strike, are facing student conduct summonses um, and, and student conduct disciplinary action. And it means that their, their, their housing is threatened um, in, in so, sort of like a kind of horrible circle from the issue that we were talking about in the first place <laughs> um, about, about it, it being just incredibly difficult to live here. Yeah, and UCSC, so in Santa Cruz, we don't have rent control, but we do have some basic tenant protections, which students who live on campus don't even have that. UCSC doesn't need to comply with even state imposed, with even recommendations that UCSC gives to students who go to live off of campus. Um, all of the recommendations they give uh, make sure, you know, the housing meets certain standards. Their housing does not meet, meet those standards. So, so it's the unique situation of uh, students and academic workers in these struggles is that they're in this sort of in-between territory where they can be um, exploited and mistreated in these ways because they're supposedly students and there's uh, like kind of a a work study aspect to it, or at least that's what people think. Yeah, I, one thing I wanted to make sure we cover is that part of the struggle has been actually asserting that students are workers. And graduate students who are doing the teaching and the research who have been recruited to come to the university to do their research are workers. Um, and our teaching is only part of the work that we perform for the university. Our research that results in academic papers and publications and lab work um, also belongs to the university. They profit off of our research. So pretending that um, being a teaching assistant is a part-time job and we're compensated somehow fairly for that job is absurd. The work that we do amounts to, I don't know, nearly 60, sometimes 80 hours a week easily. Um, and I think part of what we've been trying to assert is that um, the labor that we perform is work, that we are exploited, and we must be compensated fairly for this labor. So forgive me if this is a stupid question, but isn't you see uh, like a public not-for-profit university and as such like why are they like why do they what's their motivation for being this exploitative like isn't it on some level supposed to be a public service profit is the motivation <laughs> like i think we have those ideals about oh it's going to be a public institution that is going to serve its student and workers that is going to be run by student and workers and faculty in this communal way that is going to value community and uh you know, yeah, so I think part of the desperation that we all feel is financially motivated, but also we're just disillusioned with the, with the institution. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a that, that's a it's a complex question that like the thing we're fighting for is exactly what you're saying, like the public institution, which has in many ways with the onset of neoliberalism and so that has sort of spread to kind of every aspect of the university um, is just being eroded. Um, so kind of like the thing that we're fighting is the model of corporate management that like 
you know, something that we've been paying attention to and, and sort of uh, shining a light on is the, these six-figure salaries of, of, uh, of senior administration, which are even higher at other UC campuses, you know, like in, in whatever, the basketball coaches get paid like millions and millions of dollars. Um, but just like that, the, there's some real disconnect between the, the labor that is valued and kind of the, the people that are able to access this, this place and the people that, that just, just, uh, just, just aren't anymore. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, one of, our, one of our slogans has been eat the regents. So the regents are kind of particular to the University of California system. They are appointed by the governor. They have uh, 12 year terms and most of them are, you know, former uh, like hedge fund <laughs> managers or former CEOs of companies. And there's no kind of process of oversight for them. So um, one graduate student, uh, alleges, I mean, I, I believe it's true, but we have to use that language, right? Alleges that she was um, sexually harassed by one of the regents, and this happened last year. And she has brought this forward over and over and over again. And it turns out the regents are not subject to Title IX in the same way that any other person in the university would be. So they're pretty much untouchable, and they are the ones who make the major funding decisions. They're the ones who are trying to raise tuition right now. So it's a confluence of like a lot of different factors, one being, uh, you know, a withdrawal of state funding uh, and then the turn to increasing tuition. The fact that tuition dollars don't have to be spent on education, but can be spent more flexibly and end up going towards capital investment projects. They end up going towards uh, building and construction to uh, hospitals that the UC owns. So there's a lot of different things going on, but it's, it's, you know, the UC is still public, but it also uses financial instruments in a way that really doesn't look like uh, what what a public institution would have looked like 30 years ago. Right. I also want to remind everyone that the president of the University of California is Janet Napolitano, who is the former head of Homeland Security, who is the deporter in chief. So when people got fired for striking, um, some of some of those people being international students on a visa, undocumented students, immigrant students whose status in the country may be jeopardized by the loss of employment. When people are talking about deportations or de facto deportation, no one's kidding about that. We know what she's capable of. Um, so yeah, people who are making decisions are literally evil. Yeah, this is one of our bailiwicks here at the Antifada, actually, showing how um, border, quote unquote, border security is often used to police the working class and keep workers in line. And I think we're seeing that play out very clearly with the strike. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, at the start of this year, like we was we were seeing statements from uh, from the administration in support of of, of DACA um, and and kind of in, in support of undocumented students, um, which you know the undocumented students on this campus have, have have raised issues with kind of the lack of support and have really issued their own demands um, after. But I think really kind of with 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 the recent firings of. Uh, of, of so many of our graduate students, it's it's just shown that there, there is really kind of not that um, not that interest in, in caring for the university students. Yeah, absolutely. And the university um, 
proclaimed itself to be a sanctuary campus, but we are seeing hundreds of militarized in riot gear police officers policing students and teachers um, protesting on the street. We, we've heard reports of ICE being on campus. Um, and now we know that immigrant and on a visa and undocumented students are being fired from their employment. So I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in proclaiming um, the status of being sanctuary. Yeah, and I, I think to go back to the question a few questions back about how this is spread in amongst the, the UC Santa Cruz community and then across the state, um, I think this particular issue, like the, the sort of, um, you know, visual images of, of sort of police violence on our campus and then the, you know, the, the, the firings, which were hugely unpopular across every sort of sector, um, this is what spurred now, you know, there's a strike on UC Santa Barbara, uh, grading strike at UC Davis, grading strike at UC San Diego, I think UC Berkeley and, and UCLA will be next. Um, but 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 really, and amongst, you know, we, we have like huge support amongst the undergrads and undergrads who every day that we've been at the picket line have been there, have done actions with us and amongst themselves, and they have their own demands as well that they're, they're articulating through this process. Um, and that we have faculty support as well. And there's all sorts of like organizing networks that have appeared within the faculty that were never there before. Um, just to give a sort of snapshot of what's been catalyzed by this process. Yeah, I also wanted to ask about uh, the non-academic workers on campus and what kind of coalition building has been going on with them. Um, uh, what's been the response? I read that uh, I read that you guys have been taking over dining halls and that seems like something that would require the cooperation of the dining hall staff. So Cola for All um, was a group that emerged very shortly after we, uh, we had the meeting about the grading strike. Um, and their argument was that a Cola shouldn't just be for graduate students, but should also be for undergraduate students and for all low wage workers at the university. And I think that uh, their intervention was was very necessary. Um, they were also uh, the group that started the dining hall takeovers, and since then, uh, you know, other other organizations and other people have started organizing dining hall takeovers. But the dining hall takeovers were very um, intentional in terms of the relationship between uh, people who are taking over the dining hall and workers. So. Uh, we went in with, um, we asked people to bring Tupperware and we also had compostable uh, plates and, and forks to try and uh, make less work for the dining hall workers. We have people who were managing the lines. We have people who were sweeping and uh, picking up dishes from the tables. So there was, you know, a greater influx of people in the dining hall, but we tried to offset that. We would have also helped serve the food and wash the dishes uh, have we been allowed to, but there were certain regulations around food, food handling, so we couldn't do that. Um, so the people who uh, organized the dining hall taker, uh, takeover initially were also the people who have been calling for greater solidarity um, with low-wage campus workers from the very beginning. Yeah, um, then also I think um, it's really important to talk about the fact that when we uh, kind of came back from the from the winter break um at the start of 2020 
um, a set of workers uh, under K7 who are part of AFSME who only have a group on our campus. They're the people who fix things on our campus and they're about 50 workers. Uh, and they went on strike, uh, an open-ended strike for, for two weeks and kind of like we were there a lot of the time. Um, we were sort of like helping them out and they were sort of helping us out. Uh, we were doing rallies for each other and they got their contract settled in two weeks. Uh, AFSME who had been out of contract for three years um, then settled our contract, um, which uh, I believe was sort of sped, sped up by the um, the growing momentum across the state. Cool. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at my notes right now. Um, okay, so uh, you wrote in your statement. Um, well, I don't know if you specifically did, but uh, some associated folks that you want to resist and even dismantle the modern university. So I was curious to know what that means to you and what your alternate vision might be for how public education could or should work. Okay, Yulia's pointing at me. So <laughs> I'm gonna improvise my vision of the modern university. I, I mean, no, I, I think like, you know, there's this weird way in Santa Cruz where um, without being nostalgic, there's ways to sort of look to the past to look for how the future might look. I mean, we were a campus that didn't have grades when it was first set up. And there was this whole idea of like small class sizes, um, faculty would take on these administrative roles, there would be classes held out in the open. And, you know, not to say that like, this is the the direction we would inevitably just like go towards but but there are you know now we do have grades after around 1990 um kind of part of uh, of, of the grading strike of withholding grades um has been sort of symbolic in paying attention to the the nature of the grade the fact that the university really values the grade because it's an investment on a future uh, that is legible to some employer rather than that the process of going to a university is a process of, of teaching and learning and, um, you know, uh, like being in class with, with, with your peers and, and, you know, sharing information and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think th these would be the things that, that sort of like um, influence what the university w would look like. And it takes a real dismantling at every step of uh, what the university has, has become now that's so kind of bureaucratic and um you know any sort of university that 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 is uh that, that privileges rankings because um you know these rankings are such like an incredibly distorting uh measure that that, that privileges all, all, all sorts of kinds of knowledge production that um you know we we, we wouldn't want yeah that is, I, I also i also want to point to the picket line and the way it's functioned and sort of self-organized as maybe a model um, for a public university. So every day at the picket line, we would have hundreds of people engaged in a variety of activities from teachings to art making, to dancing, to picketing, to radical poetry writing. Um, we had guest speakers, we had comedy, comedy routines, we had pole dance uh, recitals, we had Fred Moten speak at the, at the picket. 
we have free childcare and free food every day. Um, people who have like unique skills from self-defense to fixing guitars and like string instruments offered to share those skills for free while the strike is ongoing. So there is, there is something really magical happening at that picket where, you know, I think we were able to like for a moment there liberate time from capital and for people to actually engage in activities that bring them joy, that bring them um, like learning and fulfillment without thinking, you know, oh, is, is that going to be beneficial for my future? Is that a useful skill that I'm going to learn? And like, am I going to get a job after? Um, it's actually like for the sake of being in that moment, being in the community and building relationships together. Um, I think that's what the picket taught a lot of us. And I hear like a lot of um, sentiment of people saying, I never want this to end. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want you to win, but I never want this sense of community and this like actual physical space where we can come together and learn and be joyous um, to disappear. Yeah. And I think I just want to say that like really the picket as a as a physical space where we can all gather is really really important. Um, one thing that uh, I, I hope we don't lose when we're talking about on campus housing is the fact that most grads really don't live on, on campus housing. Most grad like there's only like eighty rooms for for graduate student housing. Most grads are like moving further and further away from campus because of rising prices. So so people are moving like south towards Salinas and uh, and towards Monterey and and into Oakland and the East Bay and kinds of, kinds of places like this. So really like, you know, at the picket, we have seen so many, uh, you know, people in our community that we had kind of just lost. Another thing about this is um, it fights the turn towards online education. Um, a, a kind of problem with this is that, uh, you know, when things get disrupted, the pressure from administration is to put things to, to put classes online, um, which you know it does does all sorts of things to to devalue and push towards the devaluation of of our, you know kind of physical labor of being in the classroom. This thing that we're going to have to really think through at the moment with the coronavirus is um, that the sort of statements coming out of UC Santa Cruz that have also come out of Davis and San Diego is this pressure to uh, to, to to put classes online in the event that um, that people are going to become ill um, and to sort of archive uh, archive classes and things things like this. Um, you know, we're going to really have to fight to say no to this and that, that the fight for the university is the fight for the university in a, in a physical space. You know, one thing I do just want to highlight is, uh, you know, our, our initial demand, as Tony said, was just one demand. It was for a cost of living adjustment. And, um, you know, I think I think what COLA for All and the People's Coalition have made us realize is that that demand is, uh, you know, fairly it's a it's a fairly moderate demand. It's not it's not radical at all. It's um, asking for us to be able to uh, continue the system as it is, right? So we have enough money to stay in these programs, to teach, to do our research, and to be healthy while we're doing it, um, which is just the bare minimum, right? We just want to be able to live where we work, 
And I think COLA for All and the People's Coalition, their intervention was to think about a more radical dismantling of the university. And I think um, their vision, which has also, I think, become my vision because I've learned a lot from them, is getting rid of the regents, uh, getting rid of the administration. We don't need people who are being paid over $400,000 a year just to say no to uh, funding requests. You know, like I think that uh, professors and students and workers should be the ones who are deciding how resources get allocated. So I think that uh, if, you know, I'm not sure who the statement was written by, but it might have been written by people in Cola for All. It might have been written by people in the People's Coalition. Oh, yeah. There are, I I just found it. It's from the People's Coalition. I'm sorry. Right, right, exactly. So I think that they've really pushed us to ask for more. And in my mind, you know, the COLA is still the demand that is related to the grading strike because uh, graduate students are putting a lot on the line by withholding grades. Uh, all three of us have been fired for withholding grades. And so in my mind, it might be hard to keep withholding grades until we dismantle the university. But I think that the kind of direct actions that we've been doing, the picket line, the shutdowns, the dining hall takeovers, these are pointing towards a much broader demand about restructuring the university. Yeah, just uh, putting that in the context of the, the UC occupations of 2009 and also the, the new school occupation and, and NYU occupation that preceded it, uh, there was a, a, a constant, even though those were different struggles, they were more about the that you know, in UC, that was like an anti-austerity struggle at the new school. It was kind of this crisis of leadership struggle. But there emerged this uh, rhetoric of not having any demands, of occupying the university for the sake of occupying the university. Um, and a lot of the rhetoric coming out was, uh, you know, a lot more uh, radical and revolutionary than just deconstructing the university. Um, well, there was some real galaxy brain shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, and, you know, those occupations, they I think they were like effectively policed eventually. So that wave ended. Um, I read an article in the file about the roots of the UC strike uh, that uh, it implies that the energy from that led to um, leverage and contract negotiations. Uh, I think in 2014, and then kind of like the waning of that energy or, or you know, maybe those people graduating and moving on um, led to a, a kind of weaker position for the grad student union. Um, and on top of that, uh, you know, with the, uh, the, the struggles that have been going on, the strikes that have been going on in New York at the, uh, in the last couple of years at New School and CUNY and Columbia, grading strikes were always discussed but it was never that was like always the most radical thing that anyone could think of doing. And I don't think anyone ever did it. So um, you've sort of crossed that threshold. Uh, and as far as I can tell, it's spreading throughout the UC now. It's at least spreading throughout the UC. I also want to point out to um, a wave of strikes in education. I want to point to West Virginia teachers who went on a wildcat strike last well, two years ago now, successfully and won, um, to LA and Oakland and Chicago teachers who went on strike. Um, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, again, teachers as workers and having more control about, uh, having more control over their workspace and over the conditions under which they labor. Um, 
So while, you know, we in UC Santa Cruz exist sort of in, in this broader history of um, student and UC specific protests, I also want to think about this strike um, more broadly and in the context of a strike wave and education, but also I feel like it is a moment where, you know, it's not just the neoliberal university that is collapsing, but it is all of the neoliberal structures that are on a verge of, of a rupture. Um, and we are seeing this with protests in Hong Kong and in Lebanon and in Chile. Um, and the various tactics that we're trying to use, you know, we're, we're literally Googling, like, how did Hong Kong protesters do a certain thing? And how can we emulate this here? Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, I wanted to ask, because as I understand it, part of COLA for All is trying to make moves to reach beyond the bounds of the university and make this movement about not just people in academia, but everybody being entitled to not just education, but a decent life. Um, I think one criticism that's been leveled at this strike and others is that somehow uh, the needs of people in academia are just divorced from quote unquote normal people, working people or whatever. Like how, uh, what, what are you doing to try to reach outside of... I mean, it's the million-dollar question on the left, of course. It's not just confined to university actions, but, like, how to, how to grow the bond and regrow the bond between different kinds of workers, between academics and, you know, cafeteria workers and everybody who works for a wage across lines of... various lines of difference. Um, there are some people who think that it's all about aesthetics, right? And if you seem too weird, that's going to turn people off and harm coalitions. I think that's a little bit facile uh, myself. But like what I realize I'm throwing a lot at you. But what's what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think, uh, you know, we're doing so, so much work on so many fronts that um, kind of uh, we're not necessarily doing all of this work. I mean, I think really a lot of workers have actually recognized Um, that this struggle is important for workers anyway. I mean, I think one particularly heartwarming example is actual, you know, we're, we're in the United Auto Workers, we're obviously not auto workers, but actual auto workers um, sent solidarity. Um, they paid for pizzas at meetings. Uh, these were auto workers from Kansas City and from Chicago, um, which was amazing. You know, we got support from striking workers in France. Um, you know, there's kind of too many to name. So I think really this is being recognized as a proper struggle, um, a, a, you know, a, a serious labor labor struggle um, and, and something that is at the heart of how uh, how the, the UAW International th thinks of itself and, and is useful as a, as a union. Um, I, I think, yeah, part of the thing that we need to keep keep sort of emphasizing, you know, we we are half-time workers, so, so we're, we're working, like, we work 50% of the time as uh, as teaching assistants and 50% of the time as, uh, you know, is, is meant to be for, for research. But I think it's, 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 it's important to keep pressing the fact that this 
we, we think of all of this as work, and I think the university thinks of it as work too, but just is, is, is loath to admit this, um, that the research that you do is valuable for the university and kind of is the thing that, um, that affects the university status and, um, you know, you know uh, develops uh, how, how the university looks. Um, and so uh, as such, like, you know, people, um, you know, Yuli and I are international students, we're not allowed to work at other jobs um, outside of the university, but um, people who, who can work, work more, citizens, are, um, are, are suggested not to. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really frowned upon to work more jobs. Um, so I, I think like talking about these kinds of labor is, is, is quite important as well. I also, in Santa Cruz specifically, like many of us before organizing for COLA have organized around housing justice and homelessness. And like this campaign started off as a conversation about housing justice and rent burden and poverty. And I think normalizing a conversation about how much you pay in rent um, was really key. And for people in Santa Cruz, it's very clear that how much we're paid is not enough to survive. So very early on, we've made those connections with the homeless union in town, with poor people's campaign, with Food Not Bombs, who recognize this struggle as their struggle, who recognize that we are talking about poverty, that we're talking about workers not being able to afford basic needs, housing, shelter, food. Um, that we are food insecure, that we are housing insecure. And so I think from, from the beginning, we've been trying to, you know, not have this conversation from the ivory tower of the academia, but actually talk about our laborers work that is not being fairly compensated and us being paid poverty wages and us li literally living in the conditions of poverty. People share stories about their housing conditions and living with mold that affects their health, living in substandard housing that is, uh, you know, infested with rats uh, and not being able to afford to leave. So I think this struggle has been um, a struggle that workers all low paid workers could relate to. Yeah, and I think just like when I walk around town and, I, and people just ask me, you know, if I'm like getting my hair cut or I'm at the checkout at the store or like I'm talking to the bus driver or something. And I, and, and I, I bring up the, the strike, really everyone is heartened by this. And, you know, all of these kind of like, like, like workers are, are really in support because they recognize the conditions in Santa Cruz and um, recognize the sort of untenability of, uh, of, of it continuing. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to struggle against exploitation wherever it exists. And, um, you know, it, it makes sense to start with your employer, to start where you work. And I think the idea that the university is somehow outside of like, quote unquote, normal people is, is not correct. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe 50 years ago, uh, we would be looking at uh, a, a future with tenure track jobs where we would be making um, a decent a decent living and have job security in the future. But 
many of us are now looking at, um, you know, the increasing adjunctification of the university, and many adjuncts are living in their cars and homeless too, and struggling too. And we have been organizing with other workers on campus from showing up to AFSCME's rallies to actually uh, planning rallies with AFSCME workers. So I think this idea that like our struggles are disconnected is a little bit, I don't know, it, it seems like a little bit self-defeating, right? Along the lines of uh, broadening it out, so may maybe like if we could talk to listeners who um, are in students or university workers who do want to struggle uh, against management, against the boss for better conditions or just to radicalize their workplace, you know, I think a lot of times we th there's a discourse on the left that the way to do that is to get a union. And obviously that's a very good tool, uh, especially like a, you know, a first tool for bringing everybody together. Um, but also the your case and a case of the lot of, a lot of these uh, similar struggles show that the union is also becomes a site of, of struggling within it. The rank and file has to come to a different consensus than the, the leadership of the union. Um, so I guess my question is, uh, from your uh, example, uh, if you're talking to a, a listener who's a, a worker who, who wants to, you know, um, engage in some sort of struggle in their workplace, what do you think is like the key to the success that you've had in organizing this? Um, you know, many, many keys. <laughs> some some I, lessons. Yeah. Yes. So some that I can think of is um, build, building networks. I mean, you know, the, the university allows us this particular system of, of departmental organizing. Um, I think that's been really key to kind of the success of the movement because, you know, basically how it worked was that we, uh, the, the degrading strike was called and we had to, uh, we had to do all of the, all of the conversations immediately. So kind of, it meant that we just had to build these, these strong networks and committees and things um, in order to, uh, to, to make every, every, everything functional. Um, I would say I would say doing the most militant thing <laughs> is uh, is is kind of if not the second point actually actually the main point of this like none of the, none of this kinds of it, it's funny thinking that, that that like the things that the union was pushing towards back in 2018 like higher membership numbers kind of departmental organizing um unionizing different kinds of workers who aren't within the union structure but are still graduate student workers um this action doing the most militant action actually sort of like set all of these processes going in, in ways which would have never worked from just having a bunch of organizers going around with clipboards and trying to trying to sign people up um really taking the the the, the jump of, of of going on strike actually forced these these networks to come into, into place and has started like graduate student researchers who aren't covered by the by the union contract um have been involved in this track, and I think the steps towards unionization for these workers is uh, is in a much better place now than it was before the strike. You know, another chant that we've been very proud of is spread the strike. And so far the strike spread to other universities, other UCs. But I, I do see, you know, the keys and lessons of this strike in, well, knowing that the union is not necessarily the answer, but a militant union is. Um, and so I think unionizing is a great step, but organizing your workplace, regardless of whether or not you're, you are unionized, starting a conversation with your co-workers about the conditions that you labor under, 
about the conditions of your living situation, about the um, how structural those conditions of exploitation are, and recognizing that we as workers can always withhold our labor. Um, and as long as we're organized, as long as the structure of the organization within our workplace, or if we're talking about a rent strike, which, you know, this conversation is starting, I, that's what I'm hearing, um, recognizing that as tenants, we can strike. We have the power as long as we're organized. So, yeah, I think talking to each other and building the organizational structures is really important, whether or not folks are unionized. But if they are, I think making sure that your union is militant and is ready to take action is really important. Word. Um, were you excited when you saw that uh, Bernie Sanders tweeted in support of the UC strike? That was really funny. Uh, we were so excited. So both Tony and I were on stage speaking to the faculty association and the admin who subsequently fired us. And we were talking about, you know, the strike and the crisis we're in and trying to um, present a counter narrative to the bullshit that um, the chancellor was spewing about the strike. And then one of the faculty members came up to the microphone and said, I, I would just like to quote a thing that the Senator Bernie Sanders said and started reading out the tweet that literally named the campaign. And that was how we learned about the tweet and the endorsement. And yeah, we were very excited. And I think that was that was like a really um, heartening moment that just confirmed, you know, things that we already know about the campaign, that it is recognized by other workers. It's recognized in the academic and the, in, in the labor community as a legitimate struggle, not as a bunch of kids um, being reckless with their students' grades. Like, just having this recognition, I think, was really important. Yeah, and it's it's really good for us because, like, you know, I, I always know that we're we're right. Like, we're obviously right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but sometimes when you go on Reddit and like, there's people Bad like, ideas. So, yeah, people <laughs> celebrating that you got fired about you. It, it gets you down <laughs> a little bit, but then you know you get a solidarity statement in, and you feel. You feel okay again. <laughs> yeah. You know, also, uh, there's a dynamic in in New York, at least, where the the older, more tenured um, lefty faculty uh, tends to not understand so much the struggles of the adjuncts and the grad student workers, and often is is very critical of their their militancy, which is uh, you know not to name any names. You can name names if you want to. <laughs> if this a similar thing has played out there, but it is. It is always amazing when I, I uh, uh, when in these university strikes, you often see these like erudite uh, leftist professors crossing picket lines, which is just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not going to name names, but there <laughs> is there is a professor who 
Uh, okay, it's going to be too obvious if I, I'm trying to think about how many details to leave out. So there is a professor who calls herself a Marxist, and she just sent an email a to her. Marxist, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you any more details. Uh, she okay. sent an email to her the grad students in her department saying that uh, if they wanted to TA for her next quarter, they would have to pledge that they would not go on strike, would not withhold grades, would not withhold labor because she's going on sabbatical next year and doesn't want to have to deal with it. Wow. That doesn't sound very Marxist to me. <laughs> no. I, mean, I, I think uh, the thing that, uh, that I think we're learning all the way through is, you know, faculty, like just, just to give them credit, and especially, you know, our best organizers in faculty are junior faculty. We've got a lot of junior faculty of color. They're awesome. Um, but kind of like when you're looking for strategic advice, uh, faculty are not the place to go to. Um, it's maybe in terms of like getting the fire for some militancy, it's best to look to undergrads. Um, but but kind of uh, faculty uh, tends, you know, broadly in like a different social class um if if we're fucked the undergrads uh way more fucked because they're in a shit ton of debt um mm -hmm. like you know the, these are, are people who kind of understand this precarity and are a little more fiery and kind of kind of pushes in different ways are, are some of the undergrad zoomers really on your side or or is it more uh is it a mix is there a lot of ambivalence I think, I mean, there are undergraduate students who have been at the picket every single day. I don't know how they're handling their classwork on top of that, mm -hmm. um, but there are undergrads who have been doing childcare. There are undergrads who have been organizing our strike taxis to get people on and off of campus. Um, so undergrads have showed up for us in such an incredible way. Like I've gotten so many care packages since I got fired from undergraduates and it's just, it's just like made me cry. They're so wonderful. Um, I, I would say we have, there are so many undergrads who have been incredibly, incredibly supportive. The People's Coalition, it's a group of undergrads. Uh, they have been doing amazing work in terms of organizing direct actions. Uh, and there are some undergrads who really don't understand why we're on strike. They, they really do think that we could just take out loans and then uh, get a tenure track position after we graduate and be fine. Um, so there's a range, uh, and there's, you know, there's some people that are kind of apathetic, but I would say at the picket line, we've often been outnumbered by undergraduate students. Like if there's 500 people in the crowd, 300 of them are undergraduates and 200 are graduate students. Yeah. We well, I think that, uh, we respect so the zoomers. We respect them. They're a bunch of climate Maoists. <laughs> And we hope that when they take over, that they will spare us from being turned into pelts. <laughs> well, I think I think on this campus as well, like we have 2000 graduate students. We have, I think, 18000 undergraduate students. So just in order to get any bigger actions done, um, you really need the support of the under. I mean, you know, it, 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 for every reason, you need the support of the undergrads. Done, but just in terms of getting a lot of people out, um, you, you need the undergrads. So. Um, yeah, a, a lot of them, I think, are, are kind of, uh, especially sort of younger undergrads, people who haven't been here so long, um, are maybe a little tested by the disruption of, uh, of us having been on strike for so long, um, because it, 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 it affects how education looks. 
Um, but really, you know, there are there are ways that the administration could have ended this. And I, I think administration at every step wants to put a rift between grads and undergrads and make it feel like um, all of the pressure is coming from graduate students to harm them. So just moving towards wrapping up, you've crossed a lot of uh, radical thresholds in this campaign. Um, you've blockaded campus. You've uh, gone on grade strike. A lot of you have been uh, fired. Even people, I think, who uh, weren't uh, participating in the strike have been fired. It seems like they kind of had a haphazard way of, of, uh, of punishing uh, people <laughs> on the strike. Um, you're not ready to spill the tea yet on uh, which... Uh, which faculty are, are not respecting the picket line, and that's okay. Uh, maybe one day that tea will be spilled. Um, but what do you see as the the future, uh, the the near future, uh, the next the next weeks, and uh, finally, just uh, how can listeners support you? Well, I think a couple things we're going to definitely see is the strike spreading further. So Santa Barbara is on a full labor stoppage. Uh, UC Davis and San Diego are withholding grades. Berkeley now has eight departments that are strike ready. UCLA is waiting to hit the threshold of 10 departments to declare themselves strike ready. Um, every other UC campus has a COLA campaign and are actively organizing for solidarity actions and possibly a strike. Uh, we have seen solidarity actions happen across the country. Uh, and people start talking about their own colas. Um, we had a solidarity event happen in Chicago last night where Northwestern, University of Chicago, and Loyola students put together an event um, to fundraise for us, for fired grad students at UCSC, and we Skyped in to chat with them. And we're like, y'all should talk. Like, there's a cola there somewhere. So I think what we are going to see is the strike and the campaign spreading, uh, and that's really heartening. What we are already seeing is UAW statewide adopting COLA framework for bargaining and demanding that you see bargains with UAW. Um, so I think what we're going to see, UAW filed uh, an unlawful labor practice charge against the university and is getting ready to hold a strike vote to go on an authorized strike. So that's what I imagine we're going to see in the coming weeks. The, the, what we need, it's all of the problems we have right now are financial. I mean, of course, like all of the problems that we have from the beginning were financial. But uh, with grad students fired, people won't be deported if they have money to pay tuition and prove that they have uh, enough money to cover their living exp uh, expenses to stay in this country. Like grad students like myself who have chronic illnesses, grad students who are uh, pregnant won't lose their health care if we have the money to pay for their health care and to keep them enrolled. So the main thing we need right now is just uh, you know donations to our GoFundMe so we can engage in the kind of mutual aid that will allow people who have already been fired to stay here. Yeah, so we encourage everyone to chip into the strike fund if y'all can and follow our social media. We have a lot of fiery content. It's pay us more UCSC on Twitter and Instagram. And it's our website as well. It's payusmoreucsc.com. Um, and you can find links to our GoFundMe on our social media and on the website. 
And yep, we will. We've been that's... tweeting that out, and we'll put it in the show notes as well for sure. Word. Well, okay. thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, sorry. And just to say, um, we need coverage in whatever media we can be covered in. Um, I think uh, the way that the the administration thinks that we can lose is that people get fired and it gets forgotten about. Um, but we just need sort of any sort of co- coverage that we can get. So if people know of of links, we would love to hear from them. We will certainly do our part to spread the word. Um, thank you so much for joining us, guys. I think what you're doing is very important and certainly fits in very well with our concept of struggle here at the Antifada. So <clears throat> keep up the good work. Unrest is best. Unrest is best. <laughs> Solidarity forever. Oh, yeah.